Hello, and once again, welcome to the Cretutus Passing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for match 12 of our sports bracket, the end of the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. And this is our last woman-led versus woman-led film, unfortunately. It is unfortunate. But I think they're two strong contenders from that category. Sure. This week, we have 2006's Stick It, as well as 2002's Blue Crush. Wait, hold on a second. I just realized that it's Missy Peregrine who plays the main in Stick It, right? Correct. Yeah. And Missy is the name of the gymnastics character from Bring It On, yes? I think so. Missy, is it? And these films are written by the same person. Are they? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There's this weird, like, synchronicity happening. I mean, I did comment that Stick It was, what if Eliza Dushku's character for Bring It On actually had a gymnastics program available to her? Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Broad strokes. It's that energy. Yes. But yeah, they were in fact written by the same person. But what else led up to Stick It? <sighs> this week, I can actually talk a little bit about the historical goings-on behind Stick It. So, Stick It, if you remember from the last episode, one of the major plot points in the third act is the athlete's dissatisfaction with the scoring system that the judges are using. That was definitely a concern at the time. Back at the 2004 Olympics in Athens, there were two scoring controversies. One with South Korean competitor Yang Tae-yong. The judges misidentified some of the components of the routine, which led to a lower start score. Back then, how the scores work, the start score is effectively what score you would get if you performed the routine perfectly. So not every routine had the ability to become a perfect 10. So that effectively led to some docking of points before he even performed because they didn't have the right routine identified. There was also another controversy after Alexei Nimov's routine. Audience reaction to the scoring of the judges was so profound that it halted competition for 15 minutes. Wow. So after that, the FIG, which is the international organization that governs gymnastics, changes their scoring code. Since 2006, a perfect 10 doesn't actually exist in international Olympics anymore. It's a combination of two scores. Your first score is your difficulty score, which is a lot like the start score from the previous iteration. And that's based on the components of the routine and how they're arranged and the dismount. They give you a certain score for that routine. And there's ways you can kind of increase that score with some flourishes during your performance. But for the most part, it stays pretty static. Then there's the execution score that always starts at 10 and then they dock off points for every slip up. So this kind of pushes scoring to be much more about technical difficulty, which is actually the exact opposite direction that Stick It is indicating that gymnastics should go with its scoring. And Stick It isn't the only one making those sorts of criticisms. There have been a lot of criticisms from athletes, coaches, that say that this scoring system is not great. It undervalues the artistry and emotional reaction of the audience. It puts a larger emphasis on difficult routines, specifically to bring up that difficulty score. And some people argue that that encourages athletes to push too hard beyond what they're capable of and leads to injuries. It's also going to severely limit creativity and creative expression. Mm -hmm. There's also the fact that the new scoring system doesn't do anything to alleviate all of those kind of draconian deductions that we see in Stick It. Like, 
bra strap showing or other distractions from the actual performance. But that does leave uh, many fewer avenues for personal expression. Athletes aren't even supposed to have like nail polish or more than one earring in ear or any visible tattoos during their performances. Huh. Yeah, all of those count as distraction deductions. Cool. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. While I was doing my research, a lot of the information out there is chalking this up to, oh, well, they want them to focus on the content of the routine, not the performer. And that's why they're called distraction deductions. Mm -hmm. But it's very difficult for me to read that as anything other than puritanical bullshit and policing women's bodies. Oh, for sure. I mean, admittedly, the more expression you get into, the closer it gets to something more like dance or ballet. But... I think that sounds fascinating, honestly. I definitely think that there is room for subjective scoring based on like artistic merit for gymnastics and other sports as well that have it. I mean, that's a lot of what goes on in figure skating, and there are also problems with how figure skating is scored. But anyway, why don't we go ahead and get into the content of the film? Right. So the first time watching through, it felt like the we should change how the judging works thing kind of came out of nowhere. But now that I knew where it was going, I could see how those seeds were being planted through the film. Oh yeah, like they plant them right before the diner scene, Mm -hmm. which is way in the first act. There's nothing fair about a girl landing a double pike and losing a tenth because her toes were pointed. Nothing fair about judges who don't have instant replay and they're looking for perfection. Can you imagine football without instant replay? Oh, what about the rules? What, the code of point? Yeah, I mean, it makes conventionality good and innovation bad. Right. But I didn't pick up on it that first time, so it didn't feel cohesive. But now I can see the inner workings. I'm like, ah, yes, it all flows very well. So the first act is mostly, you know, setting things up. The second act is kind of Haley trying to lone wolf it and seeing in a lot of different avenues how lone wolfing it does not work. And so then she kind of pivots from that to this more collectivist approach. And so it's a really thorough examination of where this change has to come from. Mm -hmm. I will say on a second watch through, this first act is much stronger when you know where the film is going. Mm -hmm. There are still some parts that I really don't like. I don't like the cold open with the skate scene where we have like no context for what's going on. I think there's actually a way that you can fix both. Okay, sure. Because I don't want to necessarily remove the skate scene entirely because there's some really great stunt work going on there. Oh, sure. But if we did it via flashback, like we started off with Haley in court or like first showing up to VGA and it's like... Now I know what you're thinking. How did this happen? Well, it's a long story. And do that all via flashback with her narration, which we already have some of during those opening scenes. This isn't the first time I've made out with law enforcement. We've kind of had this ongoing flirtation. A, it totally fits the aesthetic. The yeah, the yeah. style of this film. And I think it gives us that context a little bit earlier and would improve the first act. Yeah, it doesn't particularly bother me because we have this incredible breakneck speed that gets us through those scenes and also I kind of appreciate how the music that the film uses maybe isn't actually cool in the present day but it was really sure that it was cool back then and it believes it's so strong that I'm kind of going along with it in spite of myself. I mean I still really love this music but I also know the type of person I am. It's no old town road. <laughs> wow I'm, I'm dating this podcast. <laughs> At least you're not having a flirtation with law enforcement like Haley is in her opening monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, a part of that opening monologue that does not work is that Haley is in this large hood, so we can't see who she is, which is just for the benefit of the audience. I don't think anybody in that scene would have cared if they knew that she's a woman 
Like, yeah. it wouldn't be like... Dost thou not know the prophecy? No living man may hinder me! But no living man am I. You look upon a woman. A woman? Tis Lord Theoden's niece! One more thing I like about that first scene, the conflict of that scene is that Haley and her friends want to skate here, some other guys want to skate there, they're having a competition to see who gets to skate there, and so the crux of the narrative is there's limited space, and also the boys are filming this, specifically saying the camera wants blood or whatever, which primes us for a narrative world of competition, limited space within the competition, and an audience who doesn't necessarily care about how much danger the performers are in. Mm -hmm. I'm always really into things where the film sets up conflicts subtly in advance. So, mm -hmm. yeah, good job, film. One minor thing that I do appreciate in the first act is how understanding the social worker is. We don't always get great portrayals of just how much social workers care in things. There's the overworked bureaucrat or the person who doesn't care about your problems. So it's always nice to see like an actual good portrayal of a social worker. Oh, for sure. They are severely underworked and deserve a lot more funding and resources. Yeah. Um, One last thing I want to talk about in that first act is the fight between Haley and her father as she's, like, picking her stuff up to get sent to VGA. Oh, boy, yeah. It's hits so much harder when you know all the background information about why Haley walked away from Worlds and what's going on with her family and why they are broken and dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. There's just this huge difference of first time watch throughs like, oh, she's just being a shitty teenager, what have you. But on the second watch through, after you know Haley's background information, it's all completely justified on Haley's end. And I don't really think there's any good way to fix that scene, unfortunately. This is better on a second watch. Yeah. I'm not sure if everything is justified, but it's all understandable. For yes. Me. That line. He used to be a good dad. Is so much more powerful on a second watch through. Right. And and again, the scene sets us up for Haley wanting a better dad, who is, of course, Jeff Bridges. Mm -hmm. We work with what we have. Um, at one point, Joanne is telling Haley she sucks, and Haley says, Right. Yeah, I sucked my way to worlds. Which also has some context once we know everything in her backstory. Yeah. For those who don't remember or who haven't watched it recently, Haley's mom was having an affair with her coach. And that broke apart her parents' marriage. Yep. And... Yeah. There's a very seedy underbelly to this movie and the infrastructure of gymnastics. Mm -hmm. Which also, you know, saves that line from being kind of like, hmm, yeah. uh, without the context. Yeah. So now that we've talked about all the setup and getting Haley over to VGA, when Haley first shows up, she shows up to the old gym and nobody's there. It's completely empty, so she heads over to the new facility, and it's the aesthetic is night and day. And I like that in these scenes in the gym, the saturation is bumped up, and Vickerman is wearing a red shirt to the point where he blends into the background of the gym. It's hard to separate him visually. Like we prided the film on its cinematography earlier, and on a second watch, we're just picking up so many more things. It is so constant throughout the film that they were just playing with their set and their art direction and their cinematography and it it's all very interesting mm -hmm. there's a lot of very strong geometry in this a lot of very good placement a lot of things that are maybe not super noticeable on the first watch but but really bump up the film's quality to the point where i'm really surprised it's made on a fairly small budget mm -hmm. i mean 20 million is you know yeah. it's not like paranormal activity small budget but 
One other thing in the first early scenes at VGA. So Haley like is goofing off and she, she's told to perform a routine and she just shoves it off, back talks Vickerman. And he has, I even grab her and take her to the old gym for, for a, a hard heart. And the goon carrying her over the shoulder, they take her to this like old abandoned gym. It's straight out of like a mob movie. Mm -hmm. And it's just really interesting. Yeah, it adds to the sort of weird kooky atmosphere of the cutthroatness of gymnastics, which I'm into. And it makes Vickerman a lot more sinister. And as he defrosts over the film, it makes that more obvious, I guess. Mm -hmm. While we're talking about Vickerman, early on in the film, in fact, like just before the diner scene, uh, he's talking about the motto that they have the Germans. What are we about? Clean, Clean safe routine. Guaranteed to stick. stick. That line does so much work. It is establishing that Vickerman is part of the problem that Haley is going to expound upon in the diner scene. You know, that he is all for conventionality and whatnot. But the reason he is doing that is coming from a place of safety and specifically because he understands what it's like to be injured while performing because that happened to him that ended his career and it's really interesting that he's on this side but it's a very nuanced perspective and then throughout the film he is softening and coming to see Haley's side of it more and more mm -hmm. and encouraging her into the very final scene where he comes up to her after they made a complete farce of the competitions like hey I have like a half a dozen college offers for you mm -hmm. but that's kind of another reason why I wish the film explored the idea of injury and yeah. like that perspective like they do so much to set up like you, you've, you've been saying before the camera wants blood from the very first scene they are always hinting at yeah you can be injured in this and that's a big thing like Haley talks about it in her monologues it's a huge point that Vickerman brings up to Haley again and again and again. They don't do anything with that idea of injury. The worst that we get is one of the competitors who's going to the second competition of the film. She falls off of the balance beam and then Joanne gets to go in her stead because she's the alternate. Right. But that doesn't feel like that much of an impact because... I don't know the other character at all. Yeah, like she has a name, but that's about it. Right, like the characters who are going to go to the competition are the ones the camera has been pointed at the whole time. And I'm okay with that, you know, narrative causality and all. But yeah, like for that to have payoff, we would have had to have one of the main four girls be injured at some point. But also I don't I don't want any of my children to get hurt. So mm -hmm. It could have been a like minor injury, like a sprain, that like this could have been much, much worse. And I think that would have been enough. Or if we see one of the girls from the other teams get injured at one of the competitions, mm -hmm. specifically someone who is following Haley's sort of lead and just flooring it. Right. I think in order for the injury thing to work, we would have to set up yet another character. And this is already a pretty full film. Yeah. And there's no element that I think I'd want to lose. Mm -hmm. So it would be a tricky thing to do. Not impossible, but yeah. yeah. There's only about an hour 40. So if you gave it an extra 10 minutes... I'd be okay with that, and honestly, I wouldn't mind spending more time in this world. Yeah. Like, there's also the fact that I wouldn't care as much if the film wasn't playing with that idea so much and then never pulled that trigger. It really just feels to me, it's like, hey, we're introducing this looming threat of injury, but we'd never pull the trigger on it. Right. Yeah, it's it's just kind of frustrating for me for, like, for a second. I don't like unfired Chekhov's guns. Right. 
Speaking of unfired Chekhov's guns, let's talk about Blue Crush. I'm I'm interested to see where this segue goes. Oh, I mean, Blue Crush just has a lot of things that come up but don't really get unpacked or addressed in a satisfying way, like the protagonist's rebellious 14-year-old sister who's partying with her ex, or the way her ex and his friends who are primarily Native Hawaiians are being shitty to her who is a white girl as an intruder and definitely to her boyfriend who's even more of an intruder, and how that doesn't really get resolved. Yeah. 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 Admittedly, those are things that aren't strictly about surf. It, well... They're not directly about the surf competition she's trying to participate in. So I understand how they're not things that need to be... Necessarily need to be addressed. Right. But also, those seem like pretty big things that that were like... Just left hanging? Yeah. Like, you know, generally, if you introduce a rebellious young woman in Act 1, she needs to either be dead, not a rebel, or have caused a revolution by the end of the third act. That's how these things go. Mm-hmm. Those conflicts kind of just fade into the background at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Before we get too much more into the film, though, why don't right. we talk about your research this week? Okay, so I kind of cheated, because last time I, I talked about the article this is based on. That article has some plot elements similar to Blue Crush. You've got some young women who are into surfing, you've got the socioeconomic problems caused by tourism and how that affects the lives of people who actually live in Hawaii as opposed to who are just visiting. You've got the way that friendships are forged, destroyed, and reforged by surfing and surf competitions. Mm -hmm. And the way that girls can be inspired by more successful surfers. Those girls are also tweens and teens, so it's still a little weird to me in this movie that the girls were all like women. And you have the romance subplot that wasn't there in the original article. I get it. I get it. It's Hollywood. It's a whole thing. So that I'm not just repeating myself, I want to talk a little bit about the history of surfing. Pre-colonization of Hawaii, it was a cultural activity that had some spiritual significance. However, it was, of course, suppressed when Hawaii was colonized. I think the Native Hawaiians made that white people didn't make, so clearly I had to go. Fuck the Puritans. Yes. Um, a few people would surf anyway because it's hard to police all those islands. White people saw this and were like, wow, that seems great. I want to try that. Like... Uh, Mark Twain, who cannot surf. And <laughs> I imagine Mark Twain like in this like old man form trying to surf, and it's great. It's a great image. Like all I can think of is a movie starring a like someone playing Mark Twain. It's just white men can't surf. Basically, <laughs> Jack London's article, "The Royal Sport" from uh, 1911, did a lot to popularize surfing as a thing. Where he talks about surfing is basically conquering the elements and but also there's a paragraph where he talks about how impressed he is that this guy he sees surfing can surf and how if tristram of tristan and isolde could surf he wouldn't have drowned which is a weird pull people are just in a quiet room not thinking and jack london just bursts in like tristram can't surf anyway yeah the article's kind of wild a bunch of like adventure surfers and uh, native hawaiian surfers popularized the sport and that led to it being a big part of the tourism of hawaii However, tourism of Hawaii is a big problem for a lot of people and animals who lived in Hawaii before tourism became a thing. Like 60% of the species of Hawaii are endangered. A lot of indigenous culture is being marginalized and wiped out because of how much the tourist industry is doing stuff. So it leaves an unpleasant taste in my mouth to look at the way the film approaches some of these issues, but I won't get into that just yet. This does inform a unfired gun in the film because Emery's ex is a Hawaiian man and there's a bit where he or one of his friends, it's kind of hard to tell because the way the camera's working, mentions, we grew here, guys. you flew here. When he's uh, yelling at Emery's new boyfriend for surfing in a spot that's kind of not traditionally a tourist spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I am into a film exploring, exploring the relationship between uh, tourism and surfing and race as a sports movie that could be really fun but Anne-Marie is a white lady and the centering of a white lady in this conflict is not the greatest thing 
I do want to talk about another kind of big thing regarding Anne-Marie and some of the um, more difficult topics to cover. Anne-Marie and her PTSD. Yeah. I actually, for the most part, find the portrayal of how that all functions actually pretty solid and not doing a shitty job of denigrating her for having the PTSD. Yeah. The only issues I have with it are the fact that they force her to get to a better place with it during her surf competition. I really wish that they would have done that before. That could have been a really good, like, second act arc. Mm -hmm. Especially since it leads to some really rough waves during the competition, and my notes literally say, let's try and drown this woman again. That's a great idea, movie. Yeah, that's also part of the problem I have with the film, is that Anne-Marie doesn't often demonstrate all that much surfing acumen, especially early in the film. It's not that she's hard to root for, but not a lot has shown me that the PTSD is holding her back. It seems to be she's just not that good of a surfer, almost. Most of our information about how skilled Anne-Marie is as a surfer comes from Eden talking her up, as opposed to her actually demonstrating any acumen for surfing. I mean, there's that one home video from, like, a young surf competition that we see of her. But yeah, for the most part, she keeps choking when it comes to grabbing those waves due to her anxiety and her PTSD. Mm. And she's training a little bit, but I don't think the film does enough. Right. We almost need to have had that event happen at the start of the film. Like, show her as a skilled surfer, have the thing that caused her PTSD happen, and then cut to, you know, X years later or whatever. What actually would have been great is to open it up with a dream sequence of her at that competition, going through that, waking up in a cold sweat, and then going and starting her workout routine. Yeah. Like, that would have been like, yes, I've been through this experience. Yes, it still haunts me, but I'm still going to do this. Mm. And I think that would have been a great way to set up Anne-Marie. Yeah. I am willing to forgive a film for having to do the whole, like, informed thing for a character. It does make the film weaker overall, especially in comparison to Stick It, where we see Haley doing a lot of tricks and stunts really early in the film in various different forms of sport. Also, thinking about it now, with the way this film has these very dynamic colors during some scenes, like we talked about it last time, it looks like an music video from the early 1990s. I would have loved to see a dream sequence from them. That sounds cool. Yeah. And again, to compare it to Stick It, I love how Stick It got really stylized when we had Haley's dream sequences that helped put us in her head really thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Especially if the dream sequences were super colorful and blue crush in comparison to the kind of drabness of the lives of these characters who were socioeconomically depressed. Mm -hmm. That would have been really effective. Yeah. I was going to say that some of the problems of Blue Crush, some of the cinematography, etc., comes from it just you know not having as much funding in comparison to Stick It, which generally looks better. But Blue Crush was made with $5 million more than Stick It. They had the funding, which yeah. suggests to me that they just didn't have the same creative drive. Like, it just wasn't there. I will say I'm sure part of that is also, like, the financial strain of shooting on location because they had to shoot all over Hawaii, whereas a lot of Stick It can be filmed on built sets and whatnot. That's true i'll give him that but yeah like the films are over f only four years apart so inflation is not going to have that big of a thing sure. so i will say that blue crush is probably less funded in general due to having to shoot on location but no there are definitely scenes where they go all out on the cinematography those are usually the surfing scenes mm -hmm. but there's so so many other parts of the film that are just uninteresting and boring both from a plot perspective wise i don't care about this romance and also just from a visual perspective. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of the scenes, especially the romance scenes, look like any given episode of a TV show. Yeah, they look like something you'd see on the CW. Yeah, uh, at, at the time, not now. Yes. Yeah. I'm not even sure if it was called the CW at the time. I don't think it was. There is a part of me that cares about the romance plot in that it is a woman with severe PTSD having to confront that PTSD in order to win the surf competition, but also her realizing, oh wait, I don't have to. I could just marry Matt and go off with him and never have to do this again and not have to deal with this. And I totally get and totally understand and totally forgive someone who's dealing with PTSD wanting to just have an easy out and not have to. Like just not have to heal because healing hurts and sucks. I get that and I'm not opposed to it, but I think the film doesn't play that up as much as it could have it. Plays it up as kind of her running away from her, I guess, God-given mission to surf. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For a- Surfing. Wasting her natural talent. Yeah, by... I guess it is a feminist stance to say that you're wasting your talent if you choose a man over your own ambitions. Whatever. There's also the fact that in Stick It, Haley has a pretty similar situation. She has been incredibly hurt by gymnastics. Gymnastics literally tore her family apart. And to a certain extent, it definitely feels like Haley blames herself for that because she was pursuing gymnastics to such an elite degree. And she also gets the, yeah, you get a clean slate. You can just walk away from this after Vickerman writes that letter of recommendation and pays off her the, the damages that she caused. She can walk away. She comes back. So she has a very similar arc, and it does not necessitate a romance. In fact, that was one of Missy Peregrim's reasons for taking that role is because it wasn't about a boy or looking good. It was, yeah, I'm learning about who I am and not being sorry for it. It's really a pity because I think if Blue Crush took out that whole romance thing, which evidently is a big part of the narrative, it would be entirely focused on Anne-Marie and Eden, who have a very interesting relationship, and I would love to see that unpacked with all the time it needs to just to get to that one bit where Eden talks about how he's talking all that trash and how you would be number one I was so pissed at you because I knew you would be that one scene is more interesting than most of the romance arc. I don't necessarily even think you need to get rid of the romance arc completely. I just think it needs to be not the main focus of act two. I think you can recontextualize the main focus of the drifting apart of Anne-Marie and her support network with this new romance. It's just a recontextualization and I think we just need more scenes from the perspective of Eden and Anne-Marie's sister about how that's all affecting them as opposed to very much focusing on the Anne-Marie point of view. Yes. If we had a scene towards the beginning that established kind of who does what tasks in the house and then we had a scene while Anne-Marie is having this fling where that task isn't happening, that would be super easy to do visually and yeah. It also would have worked well if you just slow down the romance. Like, Anne-Marie and... Warren from Legally Blonde. Yeah. Whatever his name is, I don't care enough. Matt, Tom, Hugh. He seems like a Hugh. <laughs> yeah, like, they are going at it almost after one night. Yeah, no one does that. I mean, it happens. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but... 
doing a more slow buildup after a few surfing lesson sessions because I really love those surfing le- oh, sessions. Yeah. They're great. And they um, <laughs> they have more fights on love, who's great. He plays Leslie? Yeah, he plays Leslie. Yeah, I love Leslie. He's great. I also really love that they are pairing Leslie with Anne-Marie's sister, Penny. So you have this very larger-than-life, boisterous black man with this like small white girl who is teaching him how to surf. Who is about as close as you can get to that small girl from Kick-Ass while still, you know, being in this universe. <laughs> yeah. I just love the pairing of opposites there. It's really great. That would also maybe give us some montage. And I think if the romance happened over, you know, several weeks instead of a few days, that would have given us that montage. It would have given that separation time to build up. It would have let a lot of things happen slower and more believably. A thing I'm, I don't know, not thrilled about, but I don't have, I don't want to make a whole big thing of it. Leslie, larger than life black man. Several other... Matt's teammates, also fat men. Matt is thin and white and very conventionally attractive, and he's the one who becomes love interest, whereas Leslie is a kind of more of a comic relief. He's kind of the Falstaff of this film. And I I feel like it plays into tropes about like what desirable men should be. I mean, even though admittedly, clearly Leslie's the, the ideal man in this movie. They fulfill very different roles on the football team. Matt is the quarterback. Leslie is a like linebacker Mm -hmm. so they definitely distinctly have very different body types Mm -hmm. i think it would have helped because we see some of the player wives and fiancés and girlfriends like we get the whole mean girl thing oh my god did you guys check out that dress hello where does she think she's going anyway the problem We've already talked about how that's real crappy, but having it so that Leslie has a significant other who's there, which I don't believe is established, I think would have helped in that respect. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Honestly, it would not be at all hard to just have one or two scenes where he just is sitting with the same woman and we can assume that that's his like wife or girlfriend or yeah. partner. Yeah, like, I know the whole impetus is, oh, they find a used condom on the floor in the room, but... You can have wives who do that. Exactly. Listen, (laughs) I am all here for, like, a well-dressed but slovenly football wife. That sounds great. (laughs) I think it's about time for extra innings. Sure, extra innings. So, we have best gimmick, best montage. What was the... What was the gimmick for... Stick it? Yeah. I think we established that the gimmick was do gymnastics or go to jail. (laughs) I just have written down lone wolf, but I like do gymnastics or go to jail better, so we're going to go with that instead. Uh, And I think we established that the the training gimmick from Blue Crush was being weighed down with rocks and all the people running across the ocean floor. Yeah. I think... Okay, listen, I deeply, deeply love the Disney Channel original movie premise that is do gymnastics while you're going to jail. (laughs) I think that Blue Crush is a better training gimmick. Yes, I would also agree. I mean, you can make an argument that if Anne-Marie doesn't do fairly well at gymnastics, she won't have enough money to, like, help her little sister not go down a trail of juvenile delinquency and maybe going to jail eventually. But it's not a clear course there. Do you mean surfing and not gymnastics? I do. Sorry. I'm still thinking about Stick It. <laughs> and so moving on to montage, I don't think that there's any argument that it obviously has to go to Stick It. Those kaleidoscope montages are so gorgeous. We didn't even talk about this episode, but yeah, like, I'm sure they're like just on YouTube somewhere. Go look for those kaleidoscope montages on YouTube. They're phenomenal and gorgeous, and I... That's not hard to do. That was not an expensive thing because you you can do that with After Effects really easily. That's using your budget and your creativity incredibly well. Mm-hmm. 
I think you might have guessed from this that Stick It is probably a stronger of the two films. Yeah, I am also voting for Stick It to move forward, especially on the second watch through. Like, I was a little bit down on Stick It last time, and we actually came to an impasse. But this time, especially with the shoring up of that first act with information from a previous viewing and just noticing all of the little experimentation and visual stuff that they're doing in Stick It. It's a very solid film. Mm-hmm. I think Stick It is kind of the film I'm most excited about having discovered this bracket. Yeah. Sure. Karate Kid is really good, and Cool Runnings I, I'm enjoying. Like Those are also good films that I hadn't seen before, but I think... But, like, they are part of the cultural consciousness. Stick It is not. Stick It has, like, a 52 on Rotten Tomatoes. Which it, is weird to me. I think it is as good as Bring It On. Bring It On is... Got three sequels and a musical. Yeah. People bring up Bring It On all the time and not Stick It, which is weird. Now, I'm not entirely sure why. To be fair, there was actually a television show that was, like, loosely based off of this premise that ran for three seasons about 50 episodes called make it or break it okay i might look that up it's a little bit more mean girlsy than this is from what i can tell i'm gonna cross out that note (laughs) my favorite part of stick it is that she unionizes the (laughs) mean girls yeah i've never seen it before but like reading through like descriptions of it that's my impression i don't know yeah, fair enough. I don't know. Has anyone in the audience seen it? Hit us up. Let us know. Tweet at us at Gratuitous Pausing or Facebook, also Gratuitous Pausing. We're very easy to find. We're SEOable. Yeah, and really, if you ever like want to talk about episodes, please add us. We love to talk with fans about stuff. Uh, if you are a friend of ours and you want to tell us how you feel about the episode in chat, that's great. Feel free to say it on the episode in the comments. Start a conversation. Meet some new people. Email this to your grandmother. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I'm slightly sad about, though, because Blue Crush isn't moving on, it's not going to go up against Karate Kid, and we can't have the Cruel Summer Clash. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. For those of you who don't know, both those films use Cruel Summer, the Karate Kid, the original version, and there's a remix that gets used in Blue Crush, also to great effect. Mm -hmm. Speaking of moving on to the next round... We are getting into the semifinals. Yeah, which means that next week is Cool Runnings versus Remember the Titans. Which means we have another Disney matchup on our hands. Oh no, we're sliding into (laughs) some sort of like temporal backslide. I didn't think we were going to be talking about a Disney film again until Frozen 2 comes out. (laughs) It's also yet another movie about sport and race because I guess Remember the Titans is just going through systematically beating up all the other <laughs> movies about race and sports. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Maybe we'll meet up this one. Maybe Cool Runnings will finally be the one that's able to defeat it in Mortal Kombat. Anyway, if you want to make sure to catch that episode as soon as it goes live, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook, as mentioned earlier. You can also follow us directly on Podbean. We're also on Spotify. Maybe some other uh, platforms here in a little bit. Once again, this has been the Gratuitous Passing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.